0: The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Infernal Death of Duke Voronoff February 1920 The young woman held a handkerchief in her trembling fingers. She was composed, her head high, but it wouldn't last long. Elizabeth stood across from her in the glumly lit room. Between them stood a mortuary table. The cadaver was hidden, but the cloth clearly outlined its ghostly profile. You don't have to do this, murmured Elizabeth. The young woman took a breath. Her delicate nose was already moist. Her long lashes quivered. I have to see him, she said. I have to know for sure. Elizabeth stepped back and nodded to the coroner. He was a boyish man, chubby beneath his apron. He adjusted his spectacles, cleared his throat, and drew back the cloth. The young woman gasped. But it wasn't only a gasp. She gargled, choked, and pressed the handkerchief into her mouth. She turned away toward the door and heaved into the examination room's dark periphery. Elizabeth moved to comfort her. She rounded the table and held out her arms, ready to catch her if she swooned. But the young woman lifted a finger. Her eyes were sealed shut. She made a harried gesture, and Elizabeth turned back to the coroner. That'll do, she said. Cover him up. The coroner draped the cloth over the cadaver's face, and he retreated back to the corner, gloved hands crossed over his lap. "'Why don't you get some air?' whispered Elizabeth. The woman burst into violent sobs, her shoulders jolting beneath her coat. Her flawless mouth stretched like putty. Her makeup ran, slicing her cheeks with black lines." Elizabeth touched her elbow and guided the young woman toward the door. There, a policeman emerged. He put his arm around the young woman's waist and led her down the long corridor. A match flared. The coroner raised the flame to his cigarette and inhaled, puffing smoke into the dank chamber. "'Well,' he said, "'at least he's been identified.' I mean, by someone other than you. Elizabeth frowned. I would have done anything not to put her through that. The coroner nodded contemplatively. May I ask an impertinent question? Elizabeth shrugged. Try me. How bright is she, the girl? Elizabeth ran her tongue along her teeth. Not very. So, she'll buy it? The, uh, what did we call it? Bear attack? I think so. Even though, said the coroner, in western Pennsylvania, you'd sooner see a Bengal tiger than a wild bear. Elizabeth hid her annoyance as she rummaged through her bag. A business envelope emerged, its surface creased and dog-eared. She won't know the difference, said Elizabeth. She handed the envelope to the coroner. He paused a moment, debating whether to break the seal, but he finally tore it open and glanced at the wad of cash within. Satisfied, he stuffed it into the pocket of his apron and blew another jet of smoke. Elizabeth adjusted the strap of her bag and turned toward the door. "'Pleasure doing business with you, Mr. Winch.' "'Before you go,' said the coroner, "'I am curious.' "'Elizabeth glanced over her shoulder. "'What about?' "'The man coughed into his wrist, then stepped toward the examination table. "'I don't know what you've heard about me. "'What would I have heard?' "'The man smirked. "'Well, probably that I'm crooked. "'Which is true when I'm asked to be. "'Most coroners are. "'You'll never know the real cause of death in this town.' Elizabeth stuffed her hands into her coat pockets. So what makes you different? I've studied medicine, for one, said Mr. Winch. Mostly correspondence courses. Nothing impressive. But most coroners can barely tie their own shoes. For another, his voice drifted. You actually want to know what happened, finished Elizabeth. You really are curious, aren't you? I suppose I am, yes. You're not the fuzz, are you? Mr. Winch chuckled. <laughs> no, ma'am. I may be crooked, but I'm hardly corrupt enough to be a cop. I'm sorry to say, said Elizabeth, you wouldn't believe me, even if I did tell you. The man grinned. Beneath the overhanging lamp, his cherubic face was dense with shadows. Try me, he said. Elizabeth sighed. She felt clammy and lost. She could scarcely believe what had happened these past few days. How had she gotten here, to the McConnell Street morgue? She could still hear the howls, the blood-curdling screams, the old man begging for help. I just want to know, said the coroner, dropping his cigarette to the ground and crushing it underfoot. Call it... "'Morbid curiosity.' "'Oh, I know what it is,' said Elizabeth. "'Morbid curiosity is my lifeblood. "'I've seen a lot of strange things, Mr. Winch, "'but this one. "'I don't like this story one bit.'" Four mornings earlier, Elizabeth Crown was standing on the corner of Fifth Avenue and Smithfield Street, directly beneath the Kaufman clock. The ornate timepiece extended from Kaufman's department store like a gold-plated tentacle, hovering venerably above the throngs of shuffling pedestrians. Not once had Elizabeth consulted the clock for the time, but the landmark was conspicuous, which was handy when meeting a client for the first time. "'Pardon me,' came a feminine voice, Are you Miss Crown? The woman was young and startlingly tall. She was covered in a dense fur coat, fashioned from layers of sable pelts. A biting wind cut through Elizabeth's weather beaten jacket, but she managed to nod. Mrs. Harris, I presume? The woman hesitated before offering a strained smile, and Elizabeth suddenly doubted that this was her real name. Thank you for meeting me, Mrs. Harris said meekly. Of course, Elizabeth said through chattering teeth. Shall we? Yes, of course. Elizabeth followed the woman across the street, sliding in the blackened slush as a trolley car rolled past. A few minutes later, they arrived at a brass framed entrance where a doorman ushered them inside he escorted the two ladies across a plushly carpeted lobby and into an elevator. All of this surprised Elizabeth. She was accustomed to conferring in restaurants and cafes, even the occasional pub or nightclub, but rarely in such a stately building. The doorman pressed a button and the elevator ascended its shaft. A bell rang with every new story until they reached the eighth floor. The doorman even unlocked Mrs. Harris's door, and he gestured inside with a gloved hand. As she sauntered into the vestibule, Mrs. Harris slipped the opulent coat from her shoulders and hung it on a hook. Elizabeth supposed the place was an apartment, but it looked more like a natural history museum. A polar bear rug was sprawled across the floor, an eagle spread its wings over a tree trunk which had been planted in the corner. The heads of cheetahs and lions decorated velvet-coated walls, and smaller animals were displayed on a range of plinth. An entire zebra stood in the corner, taxidermied to look like it was trotting through the savannah. Mrs. Harris hurried to the coffee table, where she drew a cigarette holder from the ashtray and inhaled aggressively, spurting smoke into the air. She was nervous, Elizabeth could tell. She had even forgotten to remove her bulbous Russian hat. I apologize, she said. I am in, how you say, rare form. Elizabeth smiled courteously and slipped out of her own jacket, draping it over a dark hat rack. The wood, she guessed, was real ebony. Mrs. Harris's outfit was no affectation Her voice was nuanced with Slavic vowels. Her mellifluous eyes and streamlined cheeks were dead giveaways. Such refined beauty could only be bred in Eastern Europe. When she finally thought to take off her hat, she released a waterfall of golden hair. She was statuesque, a marvel of feminine beauty rarely spotted in the cold-choked streets of Pittsburgh. I don't blame you for being antsy. "'said Elizabeth. "'It looks like your life is a zoo.' "'Mrs. Harris sputtered smoke, "'then gestured knowingly with her holder. "'I was told about your wit, Miss Crown. "'Call me Elizabeth, "'and anything you've heard is exaggerated, I'm sure, "'except about my curiosity.' "'Mrs. Harris nodded dolefully, recognizing her cue. "'My father is a celebrated man.' she began. Which is why, Elizabeth, I must insist on strict confidence. If you're calling me, Elizabeth replied, descending to the sofa, no one will believe you anyway. Which is why money will be no object. Elizabeth took a moment to cross her legs. Any other investigator would salivate at the mention of payment. She hated to broach the topic, because she rarely charged for her services. Yet free labor made clients suspicious. What was her game? Was she independently wealthy? Would she call in a favor later on? How uncomfortable would the compensation be once Elizabeth finally named her price? Why don't we start at the beginning? Elizabeth said. Mrs. Harris looked toward the windows, where the silhouette of a fire escape was painted across the frost. She licked her lips and said, I think my father has gone mad. How so? Mrs. Harris shook her head slowly. She looked around the apartment, as if suddenly realizing where she was. I'm terribly sorry, she said. May I offer you some tea, wine? Elizabeth hoped for coffee, but when the beverage wasn't offered, she asked for tea. Instead of standing up, Mrs. Harris lifted her dainty hands and gave a sharp clap. A woman appeared. She was short, stout, and humorless. Her eyes were pinpricks. Her dress was a formless black bag. Her graying hair was tied into a strict bun. She was aging, but not old. Her sagging cheeks only threatened to become jowls. Mrs. Harris called a series of commands, but in a spidery language that Elizabeth could not understand. The woman bowed curtly and turned on her heel. Olga, said Mrs. Harris, in a tone both warm and apologetic. She came with us from the home country. My father insisted. She does everything for us. ''Came with you,'' echoed Elizabeth. ''From Russia?'' ''Yes.'' ''But not during the Troubles?'' ''No, some years ago now. I was still young.'' Olga returned, carrying a tray. The tea set was white with blue patterns, the kind Elizabeth remembered from her grandmother's house. Olga poured boiling water into two tiny cups— Steam gushed from the ceramic stem. When the servant hobbled away again, Elizabeth asked, Does she speak English? No, not a word. Does your father? Oh, yes, and many other languages besides. French was his first, of course. That'll be helpful. But before we continue, why don't we state the obvious? Your father is Duke Nikolai Ilyich Voronov, am I right? the cigarette nearly fell from Mrs. Harris's fingers. "'How?' "'I read about him in National Geographic,' said Elizabeth. "'I remember the article. "'About his Australia expedition. "'About ten years ago, wasn't it? "'Although, given how much he shot up the place, "'I'm surprised not to see a decent kangaroo.' "'Oh, of course,' Mrs. Harris reeled. "'Australia, yes. "'He donated all of his trophies to the British Museum.' She smirked. Father never cared for marsupials. He finds them freakish. The trophies were an easy sacrifice. I didn't know he was in Pittsburgh now. We have lived here quietly, especially after the revolution. The Bolsheviks are everywhere nowadays. Which, I assume, is why I'm calling you Mrs. Harris, reasoned Elizabeth. The woman licked her lips. My real name is Natalia. Natalia Voronov. Not really married. No. She blushed. I am hopeful one day. Elizabeth sipped the tea. Getting back to your father, he's been not himself lately. Yes. Natalia shook away her other thoughts. He has always been a difficult man. He is obsessive, stubborn. When I was young... He would leave my mother for months at a time, never so much as a letter. I know something about obsessive fathers, offered Elizabeth. But he was not cruel, insisted Natalia. I was always his princess. I have always had everything I desired. And your mother? She is gone. We lost her to the Spanish influenza. And that is my struggle, Elizabeth. My father is all I have. So, where is he? Ah, said Natalia. That is the trouble. I am not exactly sure where he is. He became so strange these past few months. But it started, I think, nearly a year ago. He went to a cabin, a place he owns in the country. In Pennsylvania? Yes, in the county of Fayette. I have never been there, but I know he goes there when he wishes to be alone. In the wintertime, mostly. It is his special place. Might he be there now? I think so. But you see, the last time he returned from his cabin, he was changed. I I cannot explain it. Something in his eyes. He spoke aloud, but to no one. His words made no sense. He took his meals alone. He only spent time with his books, his guns." Natalia stood up and went to the sideboard. She opened its door and drew a leather-bound book. She blew on it and dust sprinkled the air. Then I found this. Natalia opened the book and spread it out on the table, oriented toward Elizabeth. Elegant Cyrillic script filled the pages, line after line, becoming more erratic with each iteration. Elizabeth squinted at the text, then reached into her bag for her spectacles. The writing meant nothing to her, until she saw its patterns. "'It's the same sentence,' she said, over and over. What does it say?' "'It is difficult to translate,' said Natalia." And my Russian is not what it used to be, but it is something like, leave behind your faith if you come into this place. Elizabeth went still. Her pulse throbbed. She leaned into the cushions and held a hand over her chin. Natalia noticed the change in Elizabeth. She murmured, Does this mean something? Did he say anything else? Elizabeth said. Anything you recognized? Uh, Yes, I I remember now. He would say, uh, Gonchaya, it is our word for a dog, but a a powerful dog, like a hunting dog. Does he hunt with dogs? Never. He says only weak men, and the English hunt with hounds. Anything else? A word I I do not know. I, I believe it is Russian, but I have never learned it. What was it? He said, Zerber. Elizabeth couldn't contain herself. My God, she exclaimed. Do you know something? Said Natalia, leaning forward expectantly. Does this make sense to you? Yes and no. Elizabeth set down her tea and weaved her fingers together. If you're right and your father is a little batty, then everything should be fine. Men can become delusional with age. It's only natural. But if he hasn't, if he's still of sound mind, then he may be in over his head. Elizabeth regretted the words the moment they were spoken. Natalia's eyes meandered. She groped the hem of her gown. Elizabeth thrust out a hand and said, But the most important thing is that we find him. Do you know where his cabin is? I do not. Not precisely. There is no road, I know. When he goes, he goes on foot, especially in winter. Can you help me find a map? Directions? Not I. Natalia bit her lip, and her eyes drifted toward the doorway. But Olga can. You've been listening to The Infernal Death of Duke Voronoff. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Backpack Media, LLC, with music by Naya Sakamata, Eric Satie, and Sixamatic. For more information about the exciting field of oncology, visit elizabethcrown.net.